engaging lounge voice. Hello and welcome to Creative Chit Chat. I'm obviously not Ryan McLeod, I'm Lyle Bruce and I'm going to be joined today for a special 50th episode with Ryan McLeod and I'm going to be interviewing him and asking him lots of questions about his past, about what he does now and things that he's looking to do in the future and also some random general chat that's going to come up in the course of our conversation. So today, obviously not being a standard uh, creative chit-chat podcast, we've got a whole host of different things happening. Uh, One obviously being the interviewee, being the normal interviewer, um, with me uh, taking the place of the interviewer, and editing duties will be taken over by Sam Gonsalves. The dog has been replaced as well. We don't have Fred in the studio, so there won't be so much whining. Um, Instead of Fred, we have Duffy, who is my dog, and she doesn't make a noise. So yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I've put on my best lounge voice and uh, let's get into episode 50 with uh, Ryan McLeod. So, well, can we make this quick? Because I've got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I generally say, I guess, <laughs> when they come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it's, 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 it's always, it's, it's um, probably always really embarrassing to have to describe what you do you know uh, to, to people I always find it really embarrassing when you're in these group situations and you kind of go around and people have to say right you know my name's such and such and this is what I do and that but in in, in the spirit of those sort of things can you can you explain what it is you actually do other than running a podcast uh, I'm a designer <laughs> nice and short well I mean yeah it's, it's always a loaded question because you there's a lot of things to consider um, one of those things being who's your audience so when you say like when I say I'm a designer well they understand what that means and then often you have to back it up and you I find myself in this trap of lists so you end up listing so I do graphics and web design and blah 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 and all the rest of it and it's like it feels very unnatural but I've not found a good solution to that problem other than sort of naming things that they'll be able to relate to. But I also find myself tweaking what I say depending on who the audience is and whether also whether I can be bothered. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of a similar approach I take to it. And I think design designer is a very loose term sometimes for people and they're like, well, what kind of design is it that you do? Mm. And I find that's because people want to try and figure out what, what they can use you for and it's like right so True, if yeah. you're a graphic designer then they're like oh great you'll, you'll be able to do a logo for me yeah and that's really not what i want from a client and that's kind of why i keep it loose and, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think, I think I'd, i've done a lot of different projects that involve a lot of designing a lot of different things and i think now i move i try and move into different areas doing different things so i don't I don't necessarily just want to be a, someone who designs websites or someone who does brands or logos. I'd rather design, like put that design thinking into systems or strategies or, I don't know, just bigger things that aren't necessarily those tangible end products. That concept of design is shifting. That's kind of what you, you, you kind of mean. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's always changing new things around the corner. And actually, that's what's quite exciting about design is it's always looking at the new things coming. So to to to, to attribute what you do to something that's exists and is maybe also slightly in the past, maybe holds you back as a designer if you if you lumber yourself with that tag mm-hmm. in yeah. front of you. And I think it's often difficult to gauge as you introduce yourself. It's often difficult to gauge people's understanding of of design. 
um, and it's only really the conversation afterwards that you then get to to sort of explore that mm. when and then often the next question is like what kind of designer or what sort of stuff do you do or like that's when the conversation you start to gauge that person's understanding of, of design yeah I, I've, I've kind of got i've kind of come to this thinking of that actually what sometimes people term as design like graphic design or other things is just a creative skill mm-hmm. and it's it's not it's not actually worthy of the tag of designer it's 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 worthy is probably not the right word but it's it's probably it it's it's what you do when you're actually getting to the 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 uh, implementation part it's one of the it's one of the creative skills you draw on um but the design part is 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 the bit that you, that you arrive at once you've atta- attached the creative this creative skill and the creative thinking um to to together you you produce a design i think mm. that's kind of what i mean it's a slightly stilted way of saying it but you know it's yeah, a desi- design is what happens when you put all these other elements together. Yeah, I sort of, I kind of, I suppose, <clears throat> I, I'm also conscious that I don't want to regurgitate things that I've already said on other episodes of the podcast. But I've done that many now. I, I, I don't know, so I'm just going. I can't remember what I said on them on mine either. We might go over things, but you know, but uh, like we can like, edit it out. Yeah, I can't. I don't have any control. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, I think designer's not a protected term. And what I mean by that is it's not <clears throat> like an architect or a, a lawyer or a doctor, as in you have to do certain qualifications, you have to do certain exams in order to to then be recognised as that that thing, that um, professional. Whereas designer, you can pick up software, you can look at open source stuff, you can do anything or nothing and still call yourself a designer. There's no sort of quantifying elements that mean you can or can't call yourself that and it's something that people have asked me in the past like students in particular and have said so when when do you become a designer when's that transition from design student or creative student into designer and my answer to that was that when you actually commit to it and when i think in in my mind what happens is you start to apply the principles that you've learned and the things become sort of ubiquitous with you as a person and you walk down the street, you notice the kernel or the spacing or the font choice or the colour choice and you can't, like, I feel now that I can never escape that. Like the world I look at will always be tainted by the, the skills that I've sort of developed over this time and that I'm always going to be frustrated by by those little bits and pieces and at the point at which I that became so embedded in my life i feel that's the point at which i became a designer that's an interesting way of seeing it and it's it reminds me of a musician friend of mine who who couldn't um who who would always tell me that he couldn't walk through shopping centers listening to the music uh, not because of the general quality of the music uh, as in artistically um it was because they would be using compressed mp3 files uh you know on a server or something like that to put out and he could hear all of this compression and, and or, or what it was doing to the, the track and i can't i can't pick that up when i'm moving through like a space like that or, or listening to, to music that, that's been uh digitized um, no but i think so before i started the podcast mm. i had very little experience in audio editing, audio recording, anything like that. And the first few that I listened to, I, I mean, I, I didn't have any appreciation for what was good quality audio and what isn't. And mm-hmm. I, I even think now I'm still at the very, very early stages of understanding the, the whole process of recording and um, producing audio. But 
I have a much more keen ear to what what is good and what's not, and and I'm still learning all the time. But it's when you actually spend time working in that sort of area and that sort of um, spending hours and hours listening and recording and and then editing and, and trying to cut bits out and and that's that's where you get the appreciation for the skill. And then you, I mean, I, I suppose it depends on the person. But for me, it's like it's always that. How can we make it better? How can there's a constant drive to say, okay, that's good, but how do we take it to that next level? Um, and how do you, yeah, how do you improve that quality constantly? And 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 going back slightly to 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 that, you know, understanding of when you're a designer or when you when you thought of yourself as a designer, um, when when did that happen for you? Um, it's probably, I mean, it's probably at university, I think. I'll go back a little bit further. I think I tried to get into art school. I did like, the school and stuff. I was always really into art. I mean, I did like advanced higher. I did the portfolio course, and I thought, right, I'll just I'll go and I'll go to art school now. And I did like a summer school at uh, Edinburgh College of Art and Animation, where we spent sort of a, f- a couple of weeks just just making little animated things. And I thought this is great fun. Um, it was at the point where Ardman were sort of growing their following and, and um, started releasing the Wallace and Gromit stuff and I was like yeah that, that'd be great and uh, I thought right I'll, I'll go and do the first year general and I applied for Edinburgh and I applied for Dundee had my portfolio and didn't get in and I, that hit me pretty hard um, and looking back like, I know why that, that happened then because I wasn't really prepared and my portfolio probably didn't sell me in the best light um, but it, it was a big setback like mentally and it sort of made me have to that reconsider. I ended up going to Telford, um, Telford College to do a BTEC, which I mean is essentially the first year at art school anyway. And you went through the different disciplines. So you did um, drawing and painting, you did textiles, you did graphics, and there's one other I can't remember, uh, sculpture. And so you'd sort of do them as, as a standard and then you chose like an elective um, and I chose graphics. And it was at that point I started to engage with bits and pieces. I ended up doing like a, it was again. It was at the point at which Banksy was sort of becoming big as well. So I got really into that and um, started doing little bits of street art. And I created a campaign for Reebok, um, which looking back it was terribly timed because I was like, oh, Reebok really need like a boost, a, a revamp. And like, I mean, literally within a week or two of me like putting this project out, they did the relaunch with like Jay Z and sort of that whole brand redevelopment. And um, but what I did was like a sort of underground campaign where I'd, I put together breeze blocks in my sort of end of year show, and then spray painted a whole load of like stencils of the trainers and sort of did this campaign. And I think that's where it started to get me interested in the, the graphic side of things. And at the same point, I'd applied to Duncan and Jordanston again for a course called Interactive Media Design. Um, and that was really based around... I mean, what attracted me to that was the access to kit and their openness to different ways of working. So the course would cover like film, animation, like interaction, digital design, and a whole range of stuff. And they had studios with suites of computers, and I mean, it sounds silly now, but like comfy areas like sofas to hang out on and games consoles where, and I went from an interview, there's a guy sitting, there's a third year student at the time who was just sitting playing PlayStation and I was like, mm, this might not be a bad route to go down. So you, you, you were one of the first people on that course of interactive 
interact, interaction design. Is that... uh, it was interactive media design at the time. It's right. since changed to digital interaction design. Um, right. We were the fourth year of that course, so it was the first time that it had four a full four year sort of cohort. Right. Um, so it was right at the, the, the very beginning of that. Um, and the, I think it was, it was very much still trying to find their find their feet. Um, but it was a really interesting time to be in there and the sort of the studio and the access to that it was a good introduction to like being a designer I think and that I've been a part of something bigger than just you sort of like siloed um, mm. and sort of having an atmosphere around where you work and where you are and being in a nice space that encourages you to to work more and want to be in there and do you think spaces are like something that are really important to uh, to, to producing good work, you know, having a having a good space because a, a lot of a lot of universities and education has now gone to very sort of you know standardised sort of space for for people or you know hot Absolutely. desking or I that mean, sort of stuff. I think um, the environment that you work in is massively important. Um, there's a lot of factors that will affect how you work, and I think if you're coming into a place that doesn't inspire you, then how can you expect to create inspiring work? And even if, I mean, it's even just making the best of a, of a bad situation, potentially. Is it like putting some paint on the walls? Is it getting some nice looking furniture? Is it rearranging how the space works? Is it, I don't know. I mean, it's something we've gone through at Fleet Collective. It was something, I mean, we have an amazing space here, I think already just under the eaves of this like massive building and the big cardboard arches. But I felt that, I mean, I've got an aversion to beige, I think. Um, Came to the wrong place. Physically and metaphorically, I think. Um, and coming up the stairs every morning, it felt like, oh, this is just like, it's three floors of magnolia. And it, it just, it really grated on me. And I'd, I think, what was it, last summer? Was it last summer? I think it was, I think it was two years two ago now. Ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I decided right enough was enough, and I had to start stop whining about it and actually do something about it. I think there's a lot to be said for that that um, model. I think uh, it came up in Lauren Curry's it was um, Swiss Miss had a thing about if you moan about it three times, then the next time you've just got to go and do something about it. I think that's a really nice way to look at things. Um, so yeah, we ended up coming up with a design, getting some people together, rearranging the space, painting some big geometric shapes. Um, precariously sort of hanging off of ladders and attaching masking tape and just did it in a in two weekends we followed all health and safety rules of course yeah. <laughs> um, and it it gives you that I mean I think coming up the stairs it, it gives you that excitement it gives you a drive and it sort of makes you feel like you're coming into creative space whereas before you didn't really know what you were expecting and it's quite a long journey from um, the, the sort of the, the front door the buzzer to coming up to actually into the space and then starting to engage with people so you need to sort of do things yeah i used to i used to often worry that when i was bringing people up here to show them the space they'd be like oh, what are we going to see here because it'd be like you know fairly gloomy in, inter, internal stairwell and then into a side door which was uh, an even gloomier sort of shabby turret area and then finally when you'd get them through the doors and into the place everyone'd be like oh wow so it kind of sometimes worked I think probably for uh, uh, you know and, and, you know, I did kind of worry that people thought I was like leading them up here to get murdered or something you know it's <laughs> like uh, yeah um, but then I think so that comes back to what we were talking about earlier about I mean I, I've never painted a stairwell I've never done any sort of design on um, like on walls before 
So that's a whole new area for me. But I just applied the design principles that I know and understand and had consideration for the space and how people use it and how people travel through that space and how I experience it to design something that met the goals and needs of, of what I wanted and what I felt the collective wanted. And that's another reason just to have the more you know generalised title of designer because you don't quite know where your design skills that you have acquired are going to take you next. And you and, and it's, it's just that... It's that curious mind of trying to 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 learn how to yeah apply something. I, I remember doing my first painted thing on a wall uh, for an exhibition, and um, rigging up a projector and projecting the the piece. You know, figuring out trying to figure out how to do it large scale and 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 how do I, how can I get this to work, and and figuring it out you know with the projector and space and you know drawing it on that way rather than any other method. I also remember that same exhibition, a really a really well known. Uh, uh, artist, uh, designer, um, and she was doing this massive, you know, um, floor to ceiling uh, pictures, uh, uh, portraits, and um, I couldn't wait to see her come in and and start doing them on the walls. Uh, and I was, I was setting up my projector and doing the thing, and this slightly chubby guy turned up with a hat on and a step ladder, and he started setting up. And I was like, oh, so when's uh, you know such and such coming in? And he's like, oh no, I, I'm I'm painting them for her. <laughs> it's like you, you're what? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. She doesn't do her own painting on the walls. She just gets me to come in and do them because um, I know how to do them large scale. <laughs> I was like, all right. I never thought that that's kind of how it worked. I thought, you know. So I think that's something that was touched on. I think it might be John Eason's episode, and like, where where is the art created there? Mm. So who owns the art? Is the art when it's created, or is the art? putting it onto the wall mm -hmm. or is like yeah where does that exist and who takes ownership for that and um, it's interesting yeah yeah whose skills are you uh, you using because i mean in, within design we we use other people's skills all the time you know and yeah. credit for it so you know you, you're you know, if you're doing a print piece you're working with a printer and you have to kind of kind of collaborate essentially with that printer to get what you're wanting produced the way you want it which is often one of the things that, that, that clients sometimes don't see going into a project. They, they, they think, you know, it's, it's, it's often a, you know, a, you design, you then take it to the printer, the printer then prints it, and then they get the work back. But actually, you kind of have to get involved with say, a printer quite early on in the process and, and work with them to make sure they know what you're producing, they can produce it, and they can give you pointers and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always a collaboration, I think, within design. Yeah, and uh, I think as much as... Uh, it excites me to move into new areas and try things like painting a stairwell. Hmm. Um, like I think the skill, an essential skill for a good designer is to know when you need help and when you should be collaborating rather than trying to do something where it's too big a, a skill gap in order to produce a really high quality finished output. Because mm -hmm. um, I think you should always be pushing yourself into new areas and learning new skills. But there's also a lot of merit in bringing other people into the project to help you. I think that's yeah, that's exactly it. a good designer knows when to collaborate and when and who to collaborate with, mm -hmm. and and that, that 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 pays you know off massively. Um, but you've, I mean, in your time sort of you know being based at Fleet, you've you have learned lots of new things. I mean, you've you've you've, you've kind of uh, you know I've always been constantly surprised by um, like how how much you're open you know to learning stuff and and uh, and and sometimes maybe from a slightly older point of view of of i'm used to say you know working in print from 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 my starting days 
and seeing somebody who was a, or is a designer coming in to Fleet who had never really experienced print stuff before. And, and that was kind of interesting. I remember you being quite intrigued by the process. Yeah, I mean, I was a total, uh, for want of a better word, noob. Um, <laughs> when it came to printing, like, I knew very little. A lot of the, um, the stuff I'd studied and the stuff I worked on were very largely digital. I'd done some very small print run stuff, um, but not getting into the complexities of actually, like, colour matching or looking at um, using special inks or preparing work for um, sort of like screen printing or anything like that or even just thinking about those different printing methods and lithography or like setting up um, different jobs for different types of printers. I didn't really understand any of the complexities of that at all and it's something that I've learned a massive amount from just being in here from people who have that expertise and are doing bits and pieces here and there and having that ability to sort of bounce off people and, and ask for their advice just because they're at the next desk. But I think that's kind of also that sort of in inquisitiveness you've got for things is probably why you like to do loads of side projects. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I've never seen anybody produce so many different side projects <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, you're constantly, I mean, sometimes I, I, I worry that you're doing too many side projects, but you seem to be enjoying them all. I, I mean, I worry I do too many side projects as well. And I, I'm sure my wife would tell you that I do far too many things. But, and like, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I should make more time for just not doing design. But this 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 podcast wouldn't exist if you didn't have a, a, a an interest in these sort of side projects. So that's, yeah, that's 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 very true. Um, I mean, I did, I did a pitch of kucha on side projects. That was that was my uh, topic, and it was kind of like the. I mean, it's all about the importance of them, mm. and I think that um, you can be very. I mean, like your your day to day job. Um, is always going to have its negatives and sometimes you need that creative release um, and it's something that I mean I haven't interviewed however many people now like a lot of them talk about their passion projects which sit on the side which they potentially then build into their own career and I think that's what side projects are great at and they're also great at sort of allowing you to, to, to expand your skills to test it in a way that's non-committal so you don't you don't have to make any money off it. You don't even have to do anything meaningful with it. You just have to make a thing and put it into the world. And I think that's what's important about side projects. And if they do go on to make you a bit of money or they do go on to, to um, build relationships with people or, or whatever that might be, that's a secondary goal. I think um, what I like to use them for is to primarily to, to sort of play and to, to push myself into new things. And and do you ever feel? I mean, do, do you ever feel they get in the way of your your commercial work? You know, do you, do you ever feel like oh, I wish I wasn't doing that today, or you know, do it? Absolutely. I mean, the, the side projects are way more fun to work on. Yeah. So it's very difficult to divide. I mean, I find myself having client work and sort of editing a podcast and being like, oh, right, okay, I better do that work. <laughs> <laughs> and I've spent three hours working on the podcast because it's enjoyable, and you can see. Often there's like in your mind, you're like, these are the easy tasks that are in front of me and I can get them done and out of the way. But the hard tasks um, are a much harder sell to yourself to get them done. Um, so, yeah, prioritising is very difficult when you've got a side project. I mean, uh, speaking to Russell about the, the open close project, yeah. um, he said the same where he spent six, seven hours just working on sorting out doors and sorting out artists. And he's like, that's great because I can get all that done. But now I've done no work on my PhD. 
Yeah, I, I, I when when Russell started the open close thing, I, I, I did think, oh, you're opening a opening a Pandora's box there. <laughs> you're gonna be, I was gonna like consume you. You know, you're gonna be, you're gonna be doing that for for a long time, and you know. But he he really enjoyed that, mm. and that was his release, and his that ability to push himself into another area and engage with the creative community and sort of build that up, which has been. No, he's done a fantastic job of it, and, and somebody needed to somebody needed to have that enthusiasm to and 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 that passion to to get it because it's something that was needing to happen, um, and and it just needs somebody to to kind of take it on board and like you say, you know, if if you notice it, you know, three times or you complain about it three times, you need to get on and do it. So that was his that was his uh, uh, complaining three times moment. So, um. I mean, obviously, you, you you were you know DJ CAD for for four years doing your, your stuff there, um, and and we've kind of touched on it, I guess, in 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 our own well, in my podcast, and then probably in other bits. But you you then ended up going to work for a company in Glasgow, straight out of university. Yeah, so I mean, I, I so I did my undergrad, and then I did a master's year. Mm-hmm. Um, which at the end of the undergrad I didn't really know what I wanted to do or I didn't really see a clear path and then Masters of Design came along was already in the same place I quite enjoyed living in Dundee some of my friends were thinking of doing it so it was kind of an easy it was a really easy step to make and let's say okay let's just do another year um, but that year actually gave me a lot of time to sort of work on my process um, and sort of work out where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do which was nice um, and yeah at the end of that I ended up um, realizing that I wanted to to go and work for an agency, I think, in the sort of digital design realm, and I did a bit of googling about. And at that point, it was so naive the way that you look at companies that you want to work for, and you sort of now I realize that I mean, when you're looking at companies, the the last thing they update is their own website, yeah, and everything they put on there is about selling to clients, and it's very superficial. Um, so I mean, it's a classic. Don't judge a book by its cover like don't judge a company by its website by, by companies though you kind of mean you know agencies design agencies, agencies yeah absolutely yeah, I mean yeah. that's what I was searching for and I sort of came across lists of like the top ones and mm. whatever and there was, I sort of did a short list of the ones that I wanted to look, work for and the one that came on top of that was uh, one called Equator down in Glasgow and I sort of decided that <clears throat> I needed to do some sort of campaign something to, to sort of get me noticed in order to get that job and something that was probably scalable across multiple agencies because there's no guarantee of ever getting anything first time or second time or third time or whatever so I decided to do a little um, campaign I sort of knew when my masters was finishing up so that September I knew that I wanted employment straight after that because of yeah I mean <laughs> being a student and being in a, a load of debt you kind of want want that nice transition out of, um, out of being a student to, to, to getting a job so um, yeah, I had this sort of set boundary of time, and then what I did was I got a, I got a bunch of mugs made, um, which had a pattern round them, which was the word "who" in this sort of bubbly font, and then multiple colours, and then um, I think it was actually a t-shirt. I got them printed here, and then so I got like five mugs, and I spent like thirty quid or something getting these mugs printed. Um, and the plan was um, to put so I got business cards printed with. Um, the words the countdown has begun and then a URL and so I put this into a mug filled the mug up with like polystyrene and put it into a box um, packaged that up and addressed it to the creative director at Equator and I decided that the best time to send it would 
Well, the best time for him to receive it would be a Friday morning because he's most likely to be in a good mood as opposed to any other day of the week. I mean, in my mind, anyway. <laughs> so... Um, I was thinking what it's like on a Friday morning, so and you've got all that work from the week building up and you've got to get it done. Yeah, but that was my thinking anyway. So it, it packs it up. And then on the... What would happen is I'd, I sort of set up a, a, um, a digital CV, um, so a little website that... Um, once he went to the URL there would be a countdown until my master's finished so essentially the countdown until I was available to be employed um, <laughs> and then off the back of that it had a CV it had some examples of my work and I was able to then customise the URL for each company that I was going to send it to so I sent this, this, this box out it arrived on the Friday morning I got an email at three minutes past nine on the Friday morning saying um I got, uh, thanks for sending through your CV. Um, the polystyrene balls have gone everywhere and are going to be a nightmare for the cleaners. <laughs> but would you like to come down for an interview? Um, so it, it worked um, amazingly. And I ended up, yeah, I ended up getting the job and moved down to Glasgow for sort of three, three years. And, and um, how, how, did the, how did you find life in the agency world? I mean, I'd, coming out of university and going in there, it was really exciting. Um, working on sort of, big name clients um, and it was like I think you have to be a sponge you have to soak up all that information whether it's um, learning from the designers that are around you learning from the client services guys how to interface with clients how to write emails how to manage your time how to manage projects how all that works I just spent sort of a couple of years just soaking all that up and trying to improve and improve and improve as quick as I could um, and it was a really good environment to do that in um, and yeah, I really enjoyed that first time. It was like a, I suppose it's like your your apprenticeship, mm. if you like, um, as a junior designer, and then sort of trying to work my way up from there. And there's a feeling, there's a kind of feeling that you've kind of you know made it, I guess, as well. When you've kind of you spent all that time learning the the craft, and then suddenly you're in these shiny offices and shiny studio spaces, and you're like, you know, this is this is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think you go from obviously five years at university you're sort of one of the apart from the phds and and um, tutors you're you're the oldest people in the college so you you feel like you've gone top of the pile hmm. and then you go into industry and it's like you're back at the bottom and you are like 40 years behind everyone else that's in there or whatever and there's i mean there's two ways to look at that you look at that as a, as a negative and like intimidating or you can look at it as there's all these people that i can learn from right now and they've got loads of stuff that will be brilliant for me to soak up i think it's also quite intimidating for people who are who are older within their design field um seeing sort of new people coming through with new ideas and and you know who understand um, who understand the world as it is at that point in time because you know a lot of design is understanding the world you know and if you if you stop if you stop understanding it then 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 you you, you start to, to fail as a designer and and that's kind of a big pressure I think and I think a lot of older designers probably feel like that mm-hmm. I'm not saying that as an older designer by the way because <laughs> um, I'm not um, but it's like I, I can see that in people that they're they're no, no longer at the top of their game because they've they've stopped having a want to understand what's going on in the world. Mm. Yeah. But um, I suppose for for me, I got to the the point where I was there sort of just short of th- three years. Um, I'd done a lot of projects, and I, I sort of there was this thing called the three year itch that is sort of in design that 
um, people talk about you get to a certain point and you're like you get itchy feet and you want out you want to change mm. even if that's just a, a similar agency or a different client base or, or whatever that might be and for me it was sort of like uh, one of my friends touted going away for a year and um, just sort of taking a year out and I like how you're asking your own questions here because uh, that, that was that was kind of going to be my next question you know the the change and you, you kind of you yeah. kind of preempted me but, uh, carry on it's fine I'm, I'm just gonna have a pint of coffee somewhere around here um so yeah i mean i ended up i mean we ended up deciding that we were going to go to canada um because the visas were relatively easy to come by they had really good snow and we were both quite into the snowboard and thought right it'd be great let's just get away for a year um yeah and i suppose i mean i'd i just started going out with well, my now wife taryn and i sort of took a bit of a gamble and just said well would you i mean a gamble on two accounts because i said well would you come with us and then I also had to check with Jamie, like, is it okay if, if Taron comes? Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, that could, yeah. I mean, like you said, just start going out, I mean, you know, a year or something, or? Um, oh, maybe, I mean, yeah, we officially we've probably been going out a few months, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Close. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Um, I mean, at the point at which I, I, I asked. Would she want to come? Yeah. I mean, holidays are holidays are stressful, stressful experiences at the best of times, and especially with with new partners and stuff like that, because yeah. you've got all these different wants and things. Um, so the, yeah, the three of us sort of trotted off to to Canada for a year. Um, I also, I mean, I was really lucky in the respect that um, Equator said if you come back after a year, um, they'll leave your job open for you. You're welcome to come back, and I'm, yeah, I was more than happy to do that um, I didn't see Canada really at that point any more than just a year and did you go back I did um, I suppose when I was out so we went to Canada and I was a, a lift operator so I loaded skis and boards um, for about what was that about three four months um, loved it it was brilliant got to play in the snow on my days off um, yeah I got to meet a lot of great people but I think even maybe a month, two months into that, I was starting to get sort of the feeling that I wanted to do something creative again. And I started doing little video competitions and designing t-shirts and doing a bunch of stuff just at, at nights and then in the flat um, to sort of satisfy that creative urge. So in the summer, I didn't really want to be a, a gardener or something like that. Like I wanted to, um, yeah, getting at something creative. So I ended up sending out my CV and did another little sort of mini campaign thing, just sending out some work to places. And I ended up freelancing for a company in Vancouver um, for a few months, um, which was amazing. And we did it completely remotely, which, looking back, it wasn't the most successful relationship, but it allowed me to sort of, um, yeah, sustain where I was living and, and then, um, yeah, satisfy the, the, the creative urge at that point. Um, and yeah, I did end up, so I ended up coming back to Equator, um, which in some ways it had changed a lot, in other ways it hadn't. Um, it had grown quite, well, I mean, not not necessarily quite significantly in numbers, but in definitely in, in terms of structure and the way they were dealing with the business. I think they'd gone to, I think they were at the crux of 100 people when I came back. Um, which I, I mean, probably one of the biggest digital agencies in Scotland at that point. Um and there were maybe 60, 70 when I first started. Um, and then when I went back, I um, was really happy for a few months. And then I started to think, well, I mean, projects were becoming a lot longer, a lot bigger. They were making a lot more commitments. I was also working on a funeral planning website, which wasn't the, the nicest of 
um, projects, to be honest. The subject matter is not great. And I sort of they, they then, I mean, off the back of that, they secured a second funeral planning project and I was earmarked for that project and that's when alarm bells were going off in my, my head. Do you think that's like, I mean, with, with, with agencies particularly, there's, I mean, for me, I, I, I think sometimes companies generally can get too big. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm a bit, bit of a fan of keeping things small and flexible. Um, and, and, and suddenly you have all those sort of, they have all these sort of requirements to, to um, mouths to feed, essentially. They've got to keep people in, in, in employment and keep, uh, there's a focus on keeping the company growing and less on maybe quality of projects in that sense. And it's kind of like, you know, got to bring things through just to keep, you know, the, 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 the money flowing and keep everything happening. And, you know, that as, as things change, and I think the design world's changed quite a lot, um, you see that with other companies where they get to a point where they 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 can't sustain that model anymore, and something's got to give. Yeah. And normally it does start with you know talent leaving and you know ideas not being there, and then and then you know I'm not saying that about this particular company. You know that that's they're still on the go now, but I'm probably probably waffling in my concept here so probably no i i I think that's absolutely true and i think it's something i felt when i'd returned Mm. um, in order to have an agency of that size you need big clients that will guarantee payment that are very profitable yeah um and that means there's a lot of banners and email campaigns and unglamorous design work that doesn't necessarily have a lot of creativity involved in it but if you're getting it paid at an hourly rate which is significant then it's very profitable Mm -hmm. So it's business-wise, it's it's very good client to have. Designer-wise, it's not very inspiring or in, like you, it's not work that you you really want to get there in the morning to get started with. Um, and that's what changed in my mind. And I was like, I want the smaller, more creative projects. And the the sort of the bottom line of the size of project that was coming in. Just, it was still a three four month project the thing the thing with design is that it, it, it should be for everybody you know it should be a skill and a, a tool that gets used for for pretty much every everybody out there every business that's going and people should have access to it and i think sometimes with agencies like that is it's it's a very much a focus on just those who can really afford the big bucks you know and it's like they suck up all the designers and then they kind of you know uh, almost hold them hold them prisoner and uh, you know for for, for for massive amounts of of, 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 of of money for projects and I think for me like in the last 10 years there's kind of been a, a bit more of a democratizing of design in a way where where a lot of people have left agencies like like what you're explaining and um, have gone a lot more freelance uh, ha- things happening the rise of co-working spaces the rise of other things has allowed people greater access to design mm. but um, I still think there's an education that needs to happen as well over how s- small companies use it. But, you know, I guess I, when you left where you were in Glasgow, um, you did you have a plan? Did you have a, did you, did you think, right, I've got to kind of be part of this smaller ecosystem of design or did you just, you know, what happened? Um, so, yeah, after I realised this is not where I want to be anymore, um, 
this was actually after I mean um, when we came back um, Taryn got a job uh, in Perth um, and she was commuting up and down from Glasgow to Perth every day um, and she ended up getting into a car share but even that wasn't it was just a lot I mean it's three hours a day travelling just to get to your job and it, it was killing her and yeah it wasn't it just wasn't great it just wasn't viable we then looked at okay could we do this in between the two cities and live in the middle of nowhere and that just again wasn't appealing and then I sort of came to the realisation that okay I'm not particularly happy where I am I need something that's smaller more creative and I think I'd always had the inkling and we'd so I'd, I'm sure we talked about it with friends at, at university just about it'd be great to have your own thing, your own studio or, or, or design practice or, or whatever um, further down the line. But I felt I needed to get that that skill level, that apprenticeship, if you like, or just that confidence to, to be able to go out on your own and do that. Um, and so I decided that this was the time to try it. If it worked, great. If it didn't, I could always go back into agency life. Um, yeah, there would be positions available. That was the fallback. What I wasn't sure of at the time was whether I'd do it full-time, whether I'd actually commit to it, or whether I'd get a part-time bar job or something like that to sustain myself. But then we looked at Dundee, and we still had friends here from university, and then I sort of came across Fleet Collective, and Fleet gave me the confidence that there were people out there sustaining their own creative careers um, independently, and they'd been doing it for a significant amount of time. So if they could do it, then surely I could have a go at least and if I failed I failed but I had to give it a try so we sort of decided right before before my wages stopped at, at Equator we had to get a mortgage and move up to the <laughs> so, so you what you, you hoodwink the banks <laughs> yeah maybe who's, who's, who do you bank with <laughs> um, so yeah we ended up coming back here and, and sort of settling and I moved into Fleet Collective um, and started up Slurp. Um, I suppose, I mean, I, I don't know if this is one of your questions, but people often ask, why why Slurp? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really just sitting here nodding at you <laughs> while, while you ask and answer your own questions. <laughs> maybe I should just do my own, own episode. <laughs> I mean, maybe you should have done. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose I wanted something that didn't restrict me, um, something that sounded fun and interesting and different. Um, why slurp <laughs> um, and so I mean I went through like a million names as you do at that point to try to come up with a name for something and nothing seemed to fit and then this came along and I wasn't sure at first and then I was kind of like no maybe I'm just being stupid and then I was like yeah okay let's just commit to that and, and do it you, you fell a little bit into into my trap which was to have a have a, a company name with where you put two letters into it and um biggest uh, biggest regret yeah. about setting up the business <laughs> is putting two p's at the end of that <laughs> the amount of times that uh just there's so many ways to spell it i have to describe it as slurp with two p's and they're like yeah. slurp and then yeah it's an absolute nightmare i i knew pretty much from day one um of our our name i remember because this was in the time when 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 phones still existed and and um you know, we'd kind of been trying to figure out what we were going to call it. It was, it was two of us at the time, and it was you know came up with Super Double D, um, but you know the domain name wasn't available for it spelled the correct way. So we thought, oh, you know, we'll just put two dot, two O's in there. That'll be fine. And and then I, I remember the first time I had to answer the phone, and you know, back when phones were a thing, and you did answer it with the name of your company, 
and it's just like uh, that's 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 uh, it's not going to work, is it? And then they're like, and how do you spell that? And you're like, uh, right, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah and you know still got it <laughs> yeah i know it's a complete pain I, I, yeah i wish i'd i wish i'd just sucked it up and yeah again it was domain driven mm. and yeah not practically driven mm. um but I, I suppose before i left glasgow i started to build up little bits and pieces i had a sort of a nest egg if you like that if that ran out then i'd have to get a job or if it was close to running out that was when i'd need to get a job um but yeah so i started doing little bits and pieces i moved into fleet and then i suppose just built things from there i mean that's been three and a half years just short of three and a half years that i've been in in fleet yeah and it's sort of slurps grown really quite nicely and better than i could ever have probably imagined um over that time and and i mean i've i've always like i've always said to people whenever they're starting something up or i'm dealing with clients who are setting up new businesses i've always kind of said i think it takes three years you know it takes three Mm. years to kind of get yourself to a point where people take you seriously, mm-hmm. you know, you take what you're doing seriously, um, and you feel comfortable in what you're doing. I think I think people often set things up and think, ah, you know, six months or whatever, I'll be, we'll be fine, we'll all be, you know, and they write these ambitious business plans and all this sort of stuff, and it's like, yeah, I think it takes it takes a bit of time, and I think I think the biggest thing is the confidence people take, and, and I mean, and so in your first three years, you know, did they go as you as you expected? I don't know what I expected. I mean, I'd, I'm probably terrible at long-term planning. Um, so did you just dive in and just sort of think, I'll take it day to day? Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. I think that was, uh, yeah, I should have had a lot more the strategic thinking. But I would think at the first point, I was just trying to keep my head above water. Mm. I was just cash flow. Is obviously the, did you the set yourself a target, though? Did you say, right, well, I need to, I need to have, like, I don't know, £400 a week <laughs> or I need to make £400 a month uh, no, 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 I didn't I, have any of that. I think that was, again, that, that sort of foresight to do that. I, I didn't have any of that. I, 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 that's kind of, when I set up, I, the first thing I thought was, right, how much do I need to make a month to make sure I can afford a roof over my head and some food? Um, and that was, I think it was around about £400, mm. I think I came out with at the time. And it was like, that was my target, was to try and do that. Um but also try and be creative and keep that control over things, which meant turning away things. And then oh, it was really tough. Yeah. And I think like that first, the first two years anyway, were very up and down. Um, it was very like one minute you could be on a high, you've just had a new client come in and then like you've got a project, you're kicking off, you get excited. And then you get an email to say that's fallen through. That's done. Like, we don't have the budget for that anymore. And it just did. The, the arse falls out of it and you're just left mm. depleted and you're like oh right okay and I think that happened a lot for the first two years and I didn't have I was still trying to get embedded into the, the sort of the community here and to understand to meet people and sort of go to events and trying to do that and realising that the worst time to to go out and, and sort of trying to get work is when you need work yes um, you you start to take on jobs that aren't right or that aren't profitable enough that you drop your prices, you compromise on timings, you like work yourself into the ground to get things done just to meet that that bottom line, and it's not a healthy way of of working. I think that's the freelance sort of curse, though, is that you're when you're working on a project, you're not really working to bring in work. So you're busy focusing on the project that you've got on, and then you suddenly find yourself at the end of that project and 
you realize that you've got nothing in to fill the gap with so, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah but then you also have clients who have no appreciation of those gaps yes so you i, I could have had a project planned then okay i've i've just scoped it out it's going to take three months i've now planned out january february march and that's going to be your project oh the funding's fallen through mm-hmm. i've now got three months with no income and desperately need to fill that i mean that's that is definitely the curse of it that there are no guarantees that those most mortgage payments are going to get made or those the ability to yeah pay for whatever going forward is going to be there well the world we exist in is a structured world where we expect you to kind of have a job and get an income every month and stuff and and, and when you're trying to set something up it doesn't often work like that and you have mm-hmm. to kind of skip months of paying yourself or whatever because you've you know a client has fallen has fallen through or, or stuff but i mean i remember you i can't remember if we touched on this in one of the other podcasts or not but i can i can remember you you know, about a year or so ago, sort of, you know, having a, a sort of like, you know, moment where a client had fallen through or a project had fallen through and you were like, I don't know, I don't know what to, to sort of, you know, I don't know what to do at that point in time. I was just like, I just enjoy it. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's it's like, that's the best, you know, for, you know, like you don't get enough time to enjoy your, your, your time. And that probably wasn't the kind of answer you wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, to be honest, if it's the same point you're thinking about, it's probably the lowest that I was over um the sort of the three years that I'd, I'd been running it and it was there wasn't any new work coming in um yeah just uh, there was nothing and i was sort of reaching out to people to see if they were interested or needed any work done and then uh, yeah there was nothing coming back and i was start eating into savings things like that which started to become worrying and then i was looking for jobs and um I then went for a, a sort of part-time position in a design role and got told I was overqualified for it. And then I was just like, that just put me even lower into a slump. And I mean, it is, it's up and down. I think it is, there's always your peaks and troughs and they're difficult to get out of, especially when it's you supporting the business on your own. Um, and although you've got like other people like, within fleet and stuff like sounding boards, but it's still at the end of the day it's your responsibility I think I, I probably used this analogy before but if you're in a company and you spend an hour on Facebook then you're like oh I got paid for that hour and then if you're a freelancer and you don't tell the companies that <laughs> no but if you yeah you spend an hour uh, on Facebook you're like oh that's an hour that I've not made any money or made any progress and it's like it's, it's on you um, and so at, at that point I was like, something needs to change, something needs to happen. And my last sort of punt, or what I was going to try was, uh, I mean, I knew that I needed to get my name out, I needed to build the reputation of what I was doing and, and get the work out there and that. And I thought, I don't want to do that in a, a necessarily a traditional way. And I'd been listening to a lot of podcasts at that point, And I was thinking, these are a great medium for getting like, for just actually having conversations with people, actually de- genuinely meaningful conversations. I also sort of identified that Dundee didn't have any. And, and so Ryan, how did you set the podcast up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I decided I was going to give creating a podcast a go. I felt there was enough of a need in Dundee um, that creatives needed to be shouting about what they were doing. Um, podcasting would give me a way of meeting a whole load of interesting creative people and capturing their stories and journeys in a much more meaningful and valuable way than me just phoning them up and going do you want to go for a coffee Um, it gave them a reason to meet me it gave me a reason to engage and and to chat and 
Um, I, did, I had no idea whether it was going to work. It could have just completely died out and just I tried a couple and, and it, it never really worked. And I, like, I had no experience in doing audio or anything like that like properly before. Um, but it was worth it. And I think the, the sort of traditional notion of, of networking or whatever you want to call it, um, meeting people really intimidated me. And it was that feeling of, of if you need work, you come across as desperate in those situations and you will compromise um, the quality or timing or money or, or whatever. Um, and I didn't want to be doing that. There's two motivations for the podcast. Mm. One was selfish, mm-hmm. which was I need to get my name out and, and sort of um, get my expertise across and meet new people that can potentially um, turn into new business. Mm. And then there was the selfless aspect of it that was all about let's create something for the community, by the community that highlights the great people who are here doing brilliant things that don't have the time or forget to shout about themselves and, mm. and, and it's people like you people in the situations that you've been in yeah. and you're like well you know I wish people knew about me because um, I can do this and you know there's other people in those same sort of situations and it's not just like fight for yourself it's like mm. help everybody else yeah. in and the same like situation there's, there's struggles that everyone goes through mm. and even if it's just hearing that that person that you um are, like that you know of is going through exactly the same struggles and you can sympathize with that then that gives you reassurance that you're not the only person that this, that you're not in isolation that this is natural this is a healthy thing to go through because I mean, you've got to look at it from a point of view of you know this sort of where you're based like the city for example like in dundee where we are and you know like if we were in a city like you know london say then then there'd be an awful lot more opportunities all over the place um for things to happen but Dundee's got a bit more of a, it's, it's very much still putting those together, as it were, and, and kind of developing itself. So there's these opportunities, I guess, there to, to kind of be part of that and to kind of take the learnings from other cities like Glasgow or London or, or places that, that have maybe slightly more advanced and developed and, and kind of use the skills that you've got to kind of help where you're based to develop itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and talk a lot about the scale of Dundee as a city and that ability to I mean it still took me a good two years before I felt like I was properly embedded in the creative community and that I started to actually get to know people and that but you you, quickly you'll go along to events and you'll see a lot of familiar faces which is a very reassuring thing um and that you you can then say oh well maybe I will just go along to that event on my own because I'm bound to know someone Mm. And I'm about to want to just have a, a, a chat with some random people who are there. Um, and I think there's a lot of things going on in the city at the moment where I'd be quite happy just to, to trot along. Or even a year ago or a year and a half ago, I'd probably just go on and, and experience it and, and get to know people. And I think that's where I've made the most valuable sort of relationships has been speaking to like-minded creatives that are in the city and, and working. And then they maybe think of me when they need some design work done. And that works. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's maybe this, I maybe talked about this before, but there's maybe a stigma of, or, well, there's definitely stigmas around the, the notion of networking. Um, but often you think you have to be collecting business cards from fat cats that are all wearing suits. And I don't think that's really what no, I think that should be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's. It does exist. It does exist. It still exists. It's a very old fashioned approach to it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very much rooted in old business. Mm. And, and, you know, the, the way, um, 
you know, the way things used to be. But I think that the more we can collaborate and sort of get together as a community um, on little projects or on big things or at events or whatever, the more we can be doing that, the more it's going to help. And it's going to help pull other people in. Um, and it's going to help create more interest in projects and it's going to push the community forward. Um, so, yeah, I think the goal of the podcast is to get people engaged here, but also to show, I mean, this will be episode number 50. Um, so that's, I mean, it's probably like 48 hours of content or something like that, maybe even like nearly 50 hours of content that's out in the world for the rest of the world to see that, that creative things are really happening here. You know, you've got the V&A arriving in Dundee, you know, that's going to, that's going to probably have a massive effect on the city. Um, and, you know, we're probably just at the start of lots of changes and the things that are happening now, we're documenting them quite well. And, and they'll be really interesting for people probably to look back on as well, I think, in, in time. And I think the podcast will probably serve as, as something there for people to look back on and remember what was what it was like. Yeah, absolutely. And then that, to document that transitional period and that, that, that build of the creative community, which that's why I try and ask as many people as I can about their opinions of the city just now and what they want to see going forward. Am I now leading into your next question? You are. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think because I think that's really important and I don't, there's not, not all of the points of view are necessarily positive, and I think that's also a good thing. We should be questioning everything that's happening. I, I agree, and I think like it's probably one of my frustrations is that we, because we're such a small city, and we have so many um, cultural organisations and other things that are quite connected to each other or quite connected to what's happening, there isn't often a balance of opinion. Sometimes you know we we're maybe a little bit, we sometimes toe the, toe the. Um, party line party lines probably it sounds a bit political but you know yeah um you know we're, we're, we're towing that line um you know spreading the message the pre-approved message um and not and not being as 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 critical as we we could be and should be i mean i i'm not in any i have no connections to anything and i feel like i, I could speak my mind more than i do mm-hmm. um but for some reason i find myself reining it in <laughs> In, in public. <laughs> um, but and there's merit in that as well, though, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, you've got to, you've got to put yourself through a filter, though, don't you? you you've yeah. got to remember things and, and say stuff. And, and you know, I think it, it's, there's, like, you know, the, the city is changing fast and people will, that will always, you know, there'll always be people who will be frustrated by that or annoyed by it. And, um, there'll be things that'll happen in it that'll annoy some people, and and sometimes you know, you know, but, but there'll be things there that, that that are really good. And and I kind of I I think the built infrastructure of a city is kind of interesting. The bits that happen and change, and people get really passionate about you know a building that's going up and how how it's going to look and the skyline and the blocking of this or the grid system of that or you know. And sometimes then you travel around other parts of the world and you see you see complete mishmashes of you know architectural stuff and styles and and good things and bad things and they actually it they 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 just it, it's more what goes on with those places and what goes on inside them that's more important than actually whether people like the building or not we're obviously going to have one big iconic building that's going to be this beacon that attracts many people um, to the city. Um, we need to be careful how we capitalise on that and how we um, 
integrate the people who live here and engage people as much as we can. Um, and I think, yeah, there, there are things going on at the moment that are starting to do that, which is great, but we can always be doing more. I think there's, there's a lot of big issues in the city that need to be dealt with, um, and poverty and austerity and this sort of divide. Um, I think, especially within the realms of design as well, we could be doing more to help that. Um, how we do that exactly, I, I don't know at the moment, but I mean, that's one of the things I'd probably want to get more involved in going forward and, and seeing how design can actually help that. Um, I think in terms of the the creative community and aspects of that, um, I think I go back to uh, Kevin Sink made an amazing point on his podcast about um, how we shouldn't be trying to be like another city. Mm-hmm. We should have our own identity um, and and we should we should be the place that champions the independent. I think that that could be really powerful for the city mm-hmm. if if people actually stand up and go right. Well, I'm going to try and start my own practice, and Dundee's a great place to do it because there's loads of people there doing that right now. Because um, we need to be attracting more people, we need to be retaining more talent. Yeah. We need to create a healthy um, environment in order to do that. Um, that's through spaces, that's through community, that's through funding. There's all these different facets that need to come together in order to facilitate this sort of growth of independence. How do you see yourself in another 10 years? You know, where... Wow. Yeah. And that's, 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 yeah, I mean, you've said you're not somebody that really plans things and, and uh, you kind of just... It's it's not that... (laughs) It's not that I don't, I don't think planning is a good idea. I'm absolutely sold on the idea that, that planning is a very valuable thing to do and I should be doing it. I'm just not very good at doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, 10 years is... I, I couldn't tell you where I'd be in 10 years. You'll be exactly where I'm sitting right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> Episode number, what, what's that going to be? Uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, like, because you've, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you've got to have a hope for what you want to achieve. You know, you've got to see yourself somewhere, don't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I want, um, I think my desire is to grow creatively. Mm. I think, um, there's a lot of, you look at a lot of businesses, they, they want to grow financially and that's a measure of success so the number of staff you employ the turnover you have the profit you have at the end of the day they measure that as success i mean i know success is something that's come up again and again and mm. i probably because i've pushed it because it's very interesting it's something that everyone has their own measures of success and i think we should all take time to consider what that means um, like for yourself and i think for me um it's I mean, there's the very base levels of that. So it, it's maintaining a roof over your head. It's being comfortable financially. And um, beyond that, it's it's fulfilling that, that creative drive, that creative needs, um, and to start to do bigger projects that have more impact, um, whether that's just the, the sort of visibility of them or whether that's the actual sort of social impact of them. I think I want to push more into that um and started to, to build on that and, and also like as i've sort of been doing with bits and pieces of print and, and going into the podcast to sort of push my own 
skill base and my knowledge um, and continually sort of learning and picking up new things um, going forward. I think that's a, a, a drive that the best designers always have is to continually push. Well, it's, it's been uh, most fun chatting to you on this 50th uh, episode of your podcast. And I kind of hope everybody's learned a little bit more about you and the person hopefully, behind yeah, the microphone. And hopefully I haven't wittered on about the same stuff I've talked about for the last 49 episodes. You know, but you did a very good job of, of, of predicting my questions. So so I've had very little to say in this. And, and actually, we could have probably just automated the whole the whole episode and maybe <laughs> yeah. be a more exciting thing to do. Um, uh, the dog's now passed out uh, in heat in this very cold uh, studio today because it's freezing outside. So, uh, yep, it's probably a good place to end it. And uh, thank you very much for coming in, Ryan McLeod. Thanks for having me. So thanks very much today to Ryan McLeod for coming in and chatting to us. And it must have been a very strange experience for him sitting at the other side of the microphone. Um, you can follow us on at CCC Dundee on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, I've been Lyle Bruce. You can follow me on at Lyle Bruce and some other places that I can't remember. Thank you. Mm-hmm.